0: I have a new Bible this week, so if you're if it looks really crisp and like I don't do it anything in it, it's because it's new, okay? It's not my it's it's usually a bad sign, but well this morning we're going to be talking about uh, we're continuing our work in John, but what I want to start on is a confession. And I, I won't say who this was or the specifics of this because that doesn't matter and it would probably get me in trouble, but I've had a time when I was going I was going somewhere I'd never been before and someone was giving me directions and they were important directions because I'd never been there I didn't know where I was going but they, they didn't get right to the point and they just kind of started rambling a little bit and I don't know as sometimes happens to me and maybe some of you my mind started to wander a little bit so I was there in body but not really in mind I was nodding I was saying yes and it wasn't until I got in my car and started driving that I realized oh I didn't actually listen at all to what that person was saying to me the words were going in, but they weren't registering. And I, and I was sitting there and going, okay, like, m- mind, okay, I know you weren't really engaged. You were thinking about something else, but there's this subconscious thing that we have, and it was listening. And so I was, I was trying to seek out, and, and I kind of stumbled, and I made my way there. But I, I had considered along the way calling this person and saying, you know, I know I was listening. It seemed like I was listening, but I really wasn't. But I I had a little bit of a pride issue. I didn't want to confess that this morning. So uh, I've done it now. So if that was you, and it might have been more than one of you, I'm I'm sorry. (laughs) But I know for a fact that I'm not alone in being distracted sometimes. All of us have had a similar experience to that, where we get distracted or uh, the noise of the world kind of gets into our lives. And... There's just an abundance of things in this world that try to vie for our attention, that try and buy us, uh, to distract us to something. And this world offers a lot of shortcuts. In, uh, if you're trying to, to work out, a diet pill sounds a lot nicer, doesn't it? You just have to pay 19.99, you take this pill, and you don't have to go to the gym. So you don't have to go around some people that are super fit and feel uh, ashamed, but that, maybe that's just me, but... so. But there's these shortcuts that come across all the time. All across any uh, late night TV or now on the internet, there's a ton of things out there. There's get-rich-quick schemes. You just have to attend this meeting and then you can figure out a way to make money really fast. There's emails from a Nigerian prince. This is an amazing thing. You just have to send him like $10 and he'll send you a million dollars in U.S. gold. Isn't that amazing? Or uh, what well my wife had this week, she got a refund. Uh, she just had to click something in a text message, and it was this bank. And we don't even deal with them, so I was, I was very intrigued by this. But w- what are these things? They're, they're scams, right? Like, they're, if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is true, right? So if it, it's a shortcut that's there, it's probably not uh, the right way to take. And in all this noise and all of these distractions, how do we determine... What voices we should actually listen to? And I'll, I'll answer for you. This is, this is the point of the passage this morning. The voice that we should listen to is the voice of the shepherd. And so we're going to be reading from John 10, 1 to 18 out of NIV. It'll be on the screen behind you, but your pew Bibles would be great. There's actually this, they've done studies, and if you read out of a real book, you actually retain it better. There's something about that, but I'll also be reading it out loud here, but feel free to track along in your Bible or swipe there in your iBible or on the screen, an abundance of options this morning. Hopefully not noise, though. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. May God bless the reading of his word. This text this morning breaks down to three very natural uh, points, which is a pastor's favorite, a three-point sermon. So the, the points, the main thoughts or segments it breaks down to is the first two are about Jesus, and the last one is actually about us. So the first is that Jesus is the gate. The second is that Jesus is the shepherd, and the third is that the sheep listen to his voice. And just for a hint, we're the sheep. Jesus is a shepherd. Jesus is the gate. So Jesus says that he enters into the pen through the gate, and then he becomes the gate. And uh, the rightful shepherd and his sheep hear him properly. So the, for Western Americans, Western Canadians, Western world, we don't have a lot of sheep. We have a lot of deer, but we don't have that many sheep. And I don't know about any of you, but I wasn't born in the Middle East, so I I haven't been around Middle Eastern shepherds very much in my life. So just to kind of set a little bit of this imagery here uh, so we can understand better, the sheep pen was either a closed-in pen besides houses, so it would be uh, a fence around that had a, a physical opening in it, or it would be an enclosure that would back onto a canyon or a cave with an opening. And these are actually still used by Palestinian shepherds in the Judean Desert. And they have a waist-high stone wall that would be topped with uh, thorny bushes. And what they would do is they would either they would lead all their sheep in here for the night. And then they would either pull across a group of uh, dry thorn bushes as a gate. Or they themselves, as the shepherd, would lay down in front of this opening. So they would be a physical barrier between danger and their sheep. So they would literally lay their life down. in in order to protect the sheep. And so Jesus saying that he is the gate means that he's literally putting himself in danger. He's the shield. He is what protects the people who love him and follow him. And he puts himself in the way of danger for his sheep. That's how much he loves and cares for his people. And Middle Eastern shepherds especially are known for their devotion to their sheep. They talk to them They sing to them, and they often have a musical instrument such as a flute that they would play short, repeated phrases of a a certain song in order so that their sheep would recognize the sound that they would be playing. And interestingly enough, uh, uh, this is in contrast to what we often think of as shepherds with New Zealand and stuff with sheepdogs. They don't drive sheep with animals. They actually just call their sheep out, and then they start walking, and their sheep follow them. If they turn to the right, the sheep follow to the right. If they turn to the left, they don't, they don't go behind them and whack them or, or scare them in order to drive them. They literally pull them along just by following them and having these calls. And, it wasn't, uh, and what he's talking about here in this passage in verse 3 to 5, he's talking about that he calls each sheep by its own name. This isn't a generic call. He's not saying to, okay, all of the sheep who want to come today, come and follow me. No, he's saying he's calling each person, each sheep, by their specific name, and this shows an intimacy. Jesus knows each and every person, and so Jesus' audience understands the imagery. They would have they would have understood what sheep are like and how sheep work, but it, they're confused. And in verse six, it says they didn't they didn't understand what he was telling them. So Jesus is telling them a the parable, an imagery, and they don't get it. It's a spiritual point he's trying to make, but they don't quite get it. So he repeats himself in a different way. He says, I am the gate. He is the only way that someone can come to faith in God. He is the only way that someone can become one of God's people. So Jesus is the only way to safety and to sustenance. What he is talking about is protection, to be a part of a flock, is to be cared for, and then he would lead them out to pasture. He would lead them out to where they could eat and be provided for. So Jesus is saying, I am the way to safety and to life. And going around, in verse 8, going around the gate, or going around the guard that would be there, shows an intent to harm or to steal. So these are the things or people in our lives that would try and take things away from us. They're the ads that are trying to draw us away and use us for something. I I read this week that the definition of a narcissist is someone who would use anyone or any means to only help themselves. And so these these are people or things that are trying to get something from us and give nothing in return. They're only interested in stealing from us. But Jesus, in contrast to that, is actually calling us into life and into health. And so there are many who try to steal us away from God, and they may even sound very good. They may sound like, well, you can, you can get whatever you want. You can have happiness. You can have life. You can live your life however you want. And there are so many things that we can invest our lives in. There are so many religions, so many ideologies, but in the end, everything except Jesus is just taking from us and not giving us life. It's only Jesus that can provide true safety and purpose for our lives. There's no alternative option. The Bible is very clear on that. Jesus, another I am statement that he says is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. It's not I am a way, I'm not a way to life, I'm not a way to the truth. He says I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is very exclusive. And in our passage here, he says he's the gate. Anything else will not get us to life. So Jesus is the only source of life. And he contrasts himself in this passage. The book of John has a lot of contrast, light and darkness. And Jesus himself is contrasting himself with the thieves who would come to steal, kill, and destroy. But instead, he has come to give life. And not just any life is what he promises, but he actually promises life to the full. So he's not just saying, I'll give you life, I'll give you, I'll give you a little bit of happiness, I'll just give you a little bit of joy. He's saying, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you a better life. When we were at Rush, the speaker there was talking about uh, the, the theme of Rush was best weekend ever. That was, that was the, the theme. It's going to be your best weekend ever. And he reflected on that. Well, that's, that's quite a big statement to make. Like it's, kinda, it's pretty bold. But his point was that he was making was, if, if you are, have an encounter with Jesus, life only gets better from there. So if you, if you have a relationship with Jesus, wherever you're at now, however good your life is or however bad your life is, it only gets better from here. And that's not just talking about heaven. It certainly has an aspect to that, a place where there's no pain, there's no more sorrow, there's no more tears. And that is the great hope that we all have. But Jesus isn't talking about in a future reality. The tense he's talking about is now. So he's saying, whatever you have now, I have something better for you. And so the great exchange that Jesus is offering here is he's saying, I am buying your life with my death. Jesus paid for everything on the cross so that by his death, we might live. And his obedience means that you can be forgiven for your disobedience. Because he obeyed God. And his sinless life can be traded for your sinful one. And this is all through the sacrificial work of Jesus that he develops in the following verses. Does this sound too good to be true? Well, just wait. There's more. Jesus is actually saying, I will exchange everything you have. And it's a gift. It's a gift of grace, you, haven't, you can't earn it, you can't buy it, but it costs you everything you have. Jesus says that if you want to save your life, you have to give it up. So Jesus is offering eternal life, he's offering an abundant life, a better life with him in the here and now, and in the future, into eternity, but he says it's going to cost you everything. You can't say, well, I'm going to use some of my time to worship Jesus, and the rest of the time I'll do whatever I want. Jesus says that's not good enough. I gave you my whole life, and I expect your whole one in return. And this isn't because he needs something from us. God doesn't actually gain something by taking your broken life. He does it because he loves you, and because he has pleasure in that. And Jesus somehow is glorified through this. So when Jesus says... I am the gate to the sheep. He says that he's the entry point to safety and he's the guard for the opening to protect him. But then he goes on to say, I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for the sheep. So Jesus is the good shepherd. So the true shepherd, he appoints, uh, he actually appoints under shepherds. So we say that Jesus is the head of the church. And he is. He is the leader of our church. He's the leader of the entire world church, the one true church. But he appoints underleaders. So he calls pastors. He calls leaders. He calls district superintendents to help lead people. But Jesus says that he is the best shepherd. But in the, in the past, and even currently now, he said that there are false shepherds. That there are actually those who are only in it to try and steal, to kill, and destroy. So perhaps they're in it for their own glory or perhaps they're in it for the, for the money or perhaps they're in it for whatever they want. Maybe they just want to be built up or feel important. But Jesus is warning us that he is the great shepherd, but be careful who you follow. So there's a contrast here. There's an, there are evil shepherds, but the contrast that Jesus shows is that the true shepherd, Jesus, would lay his life down for his sheep. And in the industrialized West, we actually have a thing of thinking about shepherds, maybe as, uh, well, especially with some of the artwork that has been done of Jesus. We think of these perfect, pristine, cuddly, white sheep that Jesus holds, and he's kind of glowy on the earth, and he's a little bit effeminate. And we think of shepherds as this, this really pristine, nice thing. But sheep are really, really dirty, and they smelly. And their their wool that they have clings on to absolutely everything. They go walking through a field. They have sticks, mud all over them. But the shepherd would be the one who would carry these and help these and walk alongside these. So being a shepherd was actually a very dangerous, dirty, uh, and not very happy-go-lucky life. And so perhaps the picture that we have of Jesus when he's saying, I'm the great shepherd, is in these glowy robes. But what actually the picture that we should have if we understand shepherding properly is that he's down here in the dirt, in the muck of life, calling us from among us. So uh, the shepherd's job was tiring. It was manly and sometimes very dangerous. And shepherds actually had to fight off wild animals. In the, the Bible, the passage here today, it says wolves. But there actually also were lions and bears. So you have a job where you're leading around all of these uh, packs of meat with four legs that grow clothes, and there's animals everywhere that want to eat them, and it's your job to stop the animals from eating them. And that's your job. And Jesus is saying that not only is he willing to risk his life, because that's most shepherds. They would actually have to daily risk their lives for their sheep. They would have to protect them. Jesus goes beyond that. He doesn't just fight a potential danger. But he actually says he purposely lays his life down for his sheep. And in general, actually, shepherds, uh, it would be a calculated risk. Because, well, do I lose one sheep? Or if I die or get so seriously wounded, then the sheep are left without protection. So so what's better or worse? So, of course, they would risk their lives. But a shepherd would never intentionally lay their life down for one sheep. It's not worth it because then the rest would either starve or get eaten or die. But Jesus says that he actually lays his life down. It's intentional and deliberate. But his death, rather than leaving the flock vulnerable, actually draws them closer to him. And it's actually, it says, what qualifies Jesus to be the good shepherd. His death is not meant merely as a good example for people to follow of being sacrificial. It is that, but it's much more than that. It's actually saying that the sheep were in mortal danger that unless Jesus laid his life down, all of the sheep would have perished. And what this is talking about is that through Jesus' death, through his sacrificial death, we are all saved. And that's what makes him the good shepherd. And the mortal danger that we are in, as humanity, outside of Jesus' uh, work on the cross, is death. That's the greatest enemy of humanity. It is death. And the Bible says right near the beginning, Genesis 3, that the first man and first woman, they chose to disobey God. And that disobedience led to a severance of their relationship. And God is the source of life. So when you walk away from life, the natural consequence is death. So through one man and one woman, death came. To all of humanity every person who has ever lived has died that's the reality except a few exceptions in the bible there's enoch got walked away and elijah was one but besides that every person who has ever lived has died but the only one who ever rose eternally was jesus so when jesus laid his life down he says in the last verses of this passage that he picks it back up. That he had authority to lay it down, and he had authority to pick it back up. And who has, who has authority over life but God? God is the creator of all life. So Jesus laid his life down to save all of the sheep from mortal danger. In verse 15 here, This this verse is really easy to look uh, past from our Western perspective, but it talks about that Jesus is calling sheep from another pen. And what this actually means for any of us here this morning, with a possible exception, this would mean non-Jewish people. So unless someone here this morning is Jewish and I'm not aware, uh, this is us. This is the Gentiles. These are the people that Jesus is referring to. And so... uh, Jesus is saying that he has another group of sheep that he is calling people to. But other than, uh, other than us that are in here, this church this morning, there is actually another group of people that need to hear his voice. As I mentioned it in my prayer, that is the people outside of these four walls. There are people that need to hear the voice of Jesus this morning, and that aren't. And Jesus is calling them, but they need to be reminded of that truth. Uh, I want to I camp on this idea a little bit more about Jesus as the perfect sacrifice. In the Old Testament, there was a sacrificial system in place uh, where the firstborn male of any flock, and especially sheep, they would be sacrificed. And the reason for this is because the only way to cover sin is death. And so there were countless thousands of sheep that would be sacrificed throughout the years since this had been instituted, as a way of reminding people of the cost and the payment for their death, or for their sin, rather, and their rebellion. So this went on several times a year. They would have these practices that they would sacrifice them. And so shepherds had raised sheep for thousands of years, only to see them as payment for their own sin. And here in this passage, Jesus reverses that. God flips this on its head. He says, instead of a sheep being sacrificed for a shepherd, as has been done, he says, I am the good shepherd and I will be the sacrifice for my sheep. So the whole point of the Old Testament sacrificial system, besides reminding people of the cost of sin, was to point to Jesus. What those thousands of sheep could never do, Jesus has done. And that is to pay for sin and to cover up the death and rebellion of humanity. So Jesus says the great shepherd. Becomes the sacrifice for the sheep. And not just any sacrifice. But the sacrifice once. And for all. So Jesus paid the ultimate price. But he says that. He did this only to take it up again. So this doesn't minimize the pain. That Jesus went through on the cross. It was excruciating. But it was a death. That had hope in it. That's the resurrection. Jesus died, but he came back. And he, know, he knew that he would have life again. So we looked at Jesus as the gate and Jesus as the shepherd. He sacrificed himself for the sheep. But now we'll look at the followers of Jesus, the sheep. So the sheep listened to his voice. This talks about the intimacy that is with a relationship with Jesus. As I mentioned before, the relationship between a Middle Eastern shepherd and a sheep was one where he would have known everything about that sheep. And the, the imagery of a sheep that is, that is calling, or a shepherd that is calling his sheep out by name would be he would stand at the gate with uh, a shepherd's crook and he would, he would let the sheep out once at a time and he would inspect them. He would look at them, see if they had any damage on them, see if they were hurt at all, if they were limping. And he would talk to each one of them. He would take the personal time with each of his sheep and then he would let that one go and he would do it with the next and the next and the next. And that is what Jesus longs for with you. He longs to have an intimate and personal relationship with you. He knows everything about you. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he still loves you isn't that incredible when you when you when you understand yourself more and more instead of going well i'm good of course god loves me when you actually understand everything all of the ways that you fall short that you're not perfect you're not the the god's best gift to men or god's best gift to women whichever respective sex it is but we're all broken and we all actually spend a lot of our life trying to cover that up and trying to look better and And pretend we are better around people but we can't pretend with God he knows us each so much he knows our failings and yet he says I love you come to me I'll take your brokenness I'll take your failings I paid for them already but you just have to choose to respond to say I'm going to give them up for you I'm going to give up my pride I'm not going to pretend I'm better than I'm not than I am in front of you here I am Take all of my life, Jesus. That's what it takes. Now, I said it sounds too good to be true. And now if we're actually thinking about this, that's an amazing gift that Jesus offers us. But that's sure not easy. That's sure hard. To be that open and honest with our creator. And say, Jesus, I've been bad this week. I've done this this week, Jesus. I know that you tell me to love these people. But I just want to love myself. I know you tell me that I'm supposed to pray for those who persecute me. But that guy's a jerk. I don't want to care for him. Why don't you just send him to hell instead? Have you ever had that conversation in your head? Or, or I, just want, I just want Jesus to take me home. I'm done with this world. It's too hard. It's too much pain. Jesus, come back soon. Is that loving? That's, that's something that's hard. And we have to do that. If we actually love Jesus, we can't pretend that he doesn't know us, because he does. But it costs everything you have. That's not easy. That's, but that's real. And that's, that's the love that Jesus has for us, that he will accept us, even though he knows us like that. So the sheep listen to the voice of Jesus. Jesus. And, and the important thing here is listen. Because all the sheep hear Jesus' voice. In the Bible, it says that everyone is without excuse. Uh, the earth itself declares the glory of God. You can, you can go up to the mountains and look out and just see how beautiful they are. And it's, and it's hard to, to say, well, no, there's nothing greater than, than the world. It just happened. That's hard to say. Be like, look how beautiful this is. So, all of us at at, at the depth of our soul know that there's God out there and he's calling us. But it's whether or not we listen to him. He's calling each of us by name, but we have a choice. Am I going to listen to his voice or not? One time when Liberty was quite small, I had grown, well, I would call it a beard, but it wasn't a beard, it was just kind of something on my face. I, and I wore glasses all the time. It was right around when I broke my leg, so I was kind of lazy with facial care and stuff like that. But, uh, but I went into the bathroom, and I cleaned myself up. I shaved. I put my contacts in. I did my hair, and I was, we're going out. And Liberty, she couldn't quite talk yet, but she did that kind of funny toddler baby walk. And uh, I called her, and she started walking out. And then I came out of the bathroom, and she saw me and burst into tears. She, she recognized my voice but she didn't recognize my face. I looked different than what she was used to. And it was, and it was kind of funny and kind of sad at the same time. And I tried talking to her and eventually as I talked to her, she calmed down because she was worried I was a stranger. And, uh, and it was just really weird to her that she could hear my voice, but she couldn't recognize me. And in, in this passage, it says that the sheep, when a stranger comes, they run away. The sheep, know Jesus' voice so much that when someone else tries to come along and say something that's untrue, they reject it? Do we know Jesus' voice that well? Or can we get fooled by the ways of the world? Can we get fooled by false shepherds who would preach something that, as Corinthians says, would tickle our ears? It sounds nice. That's an easier way. This one, this Jesus, he's, what he's saying is, is really, really hard, but I just want to say I want victory, and everything's going to be great, and there's a guy that preaches that says that that's what I can have. He said life's easy if you just believe enough. But that's not the example that Jesus had for us. Jesus suffered and was persecuted and died in order to buy our lives, to buy our death with his life. And so this is almost a side note, and as I've said this before, but there's a group of people that are outside of here that we need, to, we need to tell them about Jesus. But how can we tell them when we haven't heard from Jesus? So the message here is that we need to be listening for the voice of Jesus and then telling other people what we're hearing about him. And I don't want you to miss the point about how much God loves you. Jesus actually says that the reason that God loves, the father loves him is because he lays his life down for the sheep. God loves his son because he's his son, but he loves him even more because he obeyed him. Last week, we looked at how obedience is a part of love. We can know God. We can know lots of things about him. And we we can love him and say that we love him. But if we don't obey him, our knowledge and our love are actually weak but jesus obeyed to the point of death on the cross and god the father loved him more because he was willing to make that sacrifice for us for you for me and for the people outside of this church how do we not tell them that how do we not tell them god loves you more than you will ever know let me show you a little bit of that love with my life, with my time, with my effort, with my energy. So this shows the father, the father loves Jesus so much more because he obeys him. So even though we had sinned and were in a helpless estate, even though we couldn't get out of our sin, even though we had the natural consequences of sin, which is misery and death, God the Father sent Jesus to be our perfect one-time sacrifice And that made him love Jesus even more. Isn't that incredible? That's how much you're valued. That's how much Jesus loves you. That's how much God the Father loves you. And God doesn't love you because he needs you. Because he doesn't. God had community. He had perfect love. He had the Trinity. The mystery that is hard to explain, but it is perfect love in the three persons of God. The one true God. But he desires a relationship with you anyway. And he went so far that he sent Jesus as the message and he continues to call you even today. So how do we apply this? The sheep listen to his voice, but what, voice, what voices are you listening to today? Are you listening to the voice of Jesus or are you listening to the voices that are advertising to you? You can be happy, just buy this boat, buy this motor home, get this book, get this shirt, wear these clothes the right way, there was a study done in the, the States and they asked these, uh, these high schoolers, but I'm sure this would apply to adults too, when trouble comes, who do you go to for advice first? And for these, for these uh, high schoolers, I think their dad was uh, number 24 on the list and their mom was number 11. Music, friends, social media, internet, those are the things that go to the top of our list. But of followers of Jesus, the first thing should be we go to God. When trouble comes, we go to God. But oftentimes, when hardships come, when the doctor says it's cancer, we run away from God. We get mad at God. How could you do this to me, God? How could you let this happen? Don't, didn't I love you enough? I had a friend uh, I've shared before, but she died of cancer and, uh, just uh, last, the summer ago. And, uh, and some of my prayers uh, when, when I first heard about her having cancer, it was an argument with God. It usually doesn't go well, but I said, God, she's a way better Christian than me. She's amazing. Like, Couldn't, couldn't you keep her around? Like, how, Cure her. That'll be amazing. That'll be what'll give God the most glory is if she's cured. And we always say that, right? Because it's a miracle. People have to believe a miracle. Didn't work when Jesus was here. He, he made more, or did more miracles than we could ever imagine in our lifetime. Only a portion of them are written down people still chose to reject, but that's our argument. How could you let this happen? How dare you, God? How dare us? God sent Jesus. How dare we reject Jesus? That's, that's the hard thing. When we actually think about how much God has given us, and then we have the audacity to say, how dare you, God? Are, are they our lives or are they God's lives? Each one of us, it says, should be a living sacrifice for him. Now, before we think, okay, that's super complicated, that's super hard, it doesn't have to be complicated. It's actually simple. Do we listen to the voice of Jesus? Do we actually carve out the time that it takes to hear from him each and every day? Jesus is worth following. One, one uh, author writes this. He is skilled and courageous. If we remain under his leadership, if we recognize his voice, we will find safety and flourish. To make this come alive, I need to recognize the perilous environment of my life, my need of guidance, and the needed skill to know the right voices from the wrong voices. Uh, I just really want to say that there are abundance of great devotionals out there, and it takes a small amount of time to get into the Word of God. There's uh, one Bible app if you have a smartphone or a tablet or anything called UVersion, which will be up on the screen. It has just a link you can go to. You can find it on whatever device you have. And it's, uh, it has devotionals on there. It's a great thing. It's totally free. They don't make any money off of it. It's a church in the States that does great things. Um, but I would just, whatever, whatever you have to do, to spend time with Jesus, uh, I often uh, even catch myself saying, "Well, I don't have time for this, or I don't have time for that." That's a cop out. I had time to watch. I had time to watch Netflix. I had time to read this book. I had the time to talk to this person, but I didn't have time for God. Like what an excuse! That's not an excuse. It's about priorities. So start your day out right. Start it with Jesus. Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. And if you, if, you, if you want any guidance on this, you want recommendations for devotionals or how to pray or anything like that, always email me or Debbie in the office. Uh, our emails are in the bulletin. But let me pray as the worship team leads us in a song here. Jesus, you love us so much, and you are so good. Your love is extravagant to the point where you came and were willing to live a life here among us in the dirt as our shepherd and you call us out into life. May we follow you, Jesus, into life. May we say no to sin and death and the shortcuts that would call us. It's simple, but it's not easy, Jesus. There are so many things that would want to pull us away from you, but help us to hear your voice as our good shepherd calling us into life. Help us to lay aside our pride. Help us to lay aside our selfishness. And help us to follow you each and every day. In your mighty and precious name we pray and thank you, Jesus. Amen.